Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. I want to remind you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, your work matters to God and God matters to your work. Amen? Now, by work, I mean anything you do. I'm not just talking about the marketplace, but if, if it's at home, if you're retired, the things that you give yourself to, uh, the Christian teaching on vocation is everything you do matters to God, and God matters to what you do. And there's the beauty and the glory. So we give ourselves to work. We give ourselves to our home. We give ourselves uh, to our communities that we might seek the flourishing of, of others and God might be glorified. So it's really, really cool that the United States celebrates Labor Day weekend. Our labor is very important to God. It's a key way we reach the world. Now, here we are a couple of weeks after all these changes that have taken place, and it's just been crazy what has happened. Since we changed our service times and went from one to two traditional services, our traditional service worship attendance has increased by 50%. I mean... Thank you, God. Amen. Uh, we didn't see this coming. I certainly didn't see this coming. So for 10 years, our traditional worship attendance has been pretty stable at a, between 600 and 650. Sometimes we dip a little below. More often we dip um, above, up around 700. But since we made these changes a, a couple of weeks ago, we've gone from 600 to 900. In the traditional services, we're up in our contemporary services. Well, not quite like this, which means now not only do we have one of the uh, best choir and orchestra-led services in all of Chicago, we're getting close to having one of the largest. And may God be glorified. And I just want to thank you for your involvement. Thank you uh, for your feedback. We're still working out some of the kinks and, uh, and welcome any suggestions you have. We have an overcrowding going on in this service at the 9 o'clock hour. So you must not, you must not ever attend the 9 o'clock traditional service. <laughs> just saying. Now today, we are departing from our booklets and we're departing from our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we'll be back to the booklets into the series, and we will uh, pick up where we left off. We'll um, focus on the, the message from the Sermon on the Mount for today, and then what we're going to talk about next week, and we will combine them. But the reason we are doing this <clears throat> is because I am convinced, we are convinced, we have a crisis in community. Here in the United States, and in the Church of Jesus Christ here at Wheaton Bible Church. And by community, I mean our relationships, our, our friendships, our groups, and especially our church-based groups. And the reason, or no, I'll come to that in a second. And so what's going on in our culture for the reasons I'm about to give you is that community, church-based community especially, is increasingly less appealing, but more important than ever before. 
So today, I want to change things up in my approach. I usually begin with the word and tease out uh, what God's word is saying. But today, I want to start with culture and look at three trends. Actually, uh, they're more than trends. They're embedded values in our American culture today that are lulling us to sleep in, in the church relative to community. So I'm going to look at three trends, three consequences, and three solutions. So trends, consequences, and solutions. And the first trend I want you to be aware of is that we increasingly live in the culture, a culture where a, a, a dominant value, and I'll express it like this, is I am big. It's excessive, hyper American individualism. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand because uh, pursuing your own dreams, being true to yourself, that form of individualism is healthy and normal. But we live in a world today where increasingly individualism means you are the center of the universe. David Brooks, in his wonderful book, The Road to Character, I'll bring that up a, a couple times this morning, uh, talks about today society is failing because we live in a culture of the big me. I am big, the, the big me. So it's uh, a culture of the selfie. It's the culture of the Facebook image. But while some of that can be very neutral, what's going on underneath in our culture is far more pernicious. Because increasingly we believe this is hyper-individualism, that we are the master of our fate, we are the captain of our soul, and life is about me, myself, and I. And it's a new gospel. It's a gospel of self-trust. It's a gospel of self-centeredness. It's a gospel of self-absorption. So what's interesting is researchers tell us that in our United States culture today, words like self, and I can do it, phrases like I can do it myself, have risen sharply in usage. Where at the same time, words like gratitude, humbleness, Kindness have de decreased. Words like community and, and share and, and common good have dropped dramatically. Why? Because we live in a culture today, and I, 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 I'm going to press this, and I'm going to be hard about this, but you need to understand it because it's slow drip. And it's a drip of pro, uh, poison. We live in a culture today where one of our dominant values has become self-fulfillment. And so self-fulfillment increasingly trumps, trumps character and commitment. And so our society is increasingly coarse, rude, and narcissistic. And that starts from the White House all the way down. Uh, another way to say this, and those of you that are older will understand this, where in the generations before us, we used to ask, what does life 
want from me? Is there a war? What are the circumstances around me? Where we used to ask, what does life want from me? Today we ask, what do I want from life? And if you're a young adult, uh, that's the question that everybody around you is asking. And, And it's not all bad, but the shift is dramatic because we live in a culture that has shifted to the big me. I'm the center of the universe. I'm my autonomous self. Now, don't misunderstand. There are many wonderful things about our culture here in the United States, but this excessive hyper individualism is a poison. And the reason it's a poison is because of the consequence. So I'm going from the trend uh, to the consequence. And the consequence is widespread loneliness. I mean, that's almost intuitive. Decades ago, uh, people were asked, how many close friends do you have that you can tell everything to? And people used to say four to five. Today, it's two to three. And the number that says zero has doubled. I mean, if you have it all together, and if your ideas are the best, then you really don't need other people. And you certainly don't need God. Now, according to the UCLA loneliness scale, did you know UCLA tracked this? But according to the UCLA loneliness scale, people today aged 18 to 22 are more lonely than people aged 72 and above. And they don't know they're lonely. Uh, Why is that? Because they're so busy and they have so many relationships, but when you dig underneath the surface, so many of those relationships are superficial. And what we don't realize is loneliness is as dangerous to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So the question is, what's the solution? And the solution according to Christianity is gospel-centered community. Now, let me explain what I mean by gospel-centered. I mean, you're in a group, you're in a rooted group, a, a, a life group that follows from rooted, where you repeatedly, as a group, wrestle with, well, Uh, Jesus died for my sins. What does that mean? Uh, uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. I have his righteousness. I'm righteous in the Son of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to really understand in my heart that I'm forgiven? That I'm completely and totally accepted? So we're always uh, focusing on what Jesus has already done instead of what we need to do. And we're asking ourselves, how does that leak out? How does that drip into our lives and our relationships and we're wrestling with the gospel i mean it's important to talk about family it's important to talk about work and 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 difficulties but we want to be gospel centered in our communities and we want to start with the main thing now let me demonstrate this for you in the new testament turn to what uh, some would argue is the the most important book of the apostle paul or letter of apostle paul The book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. 
And we're going to pick it up. We're going to read four verses, verses 10 through 13. And Paul says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now go back to verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted, strong statement. Then honor one another above yourselves and drop down to verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Those are four commands. And they are all rooted in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, which is where Paul unpacks the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for it and what it means relative to our union with him. And the wonder of our forgiveness and being accepted. So here is Paul is talking about the implications relative to our relationships in church-based community and beyond to be sure of the gospel. In other words, what Paul is saying is God created you for community. He created you for relationships. Enjoy them. And when God's grace in Jesus Christ and the reality of Jesus' suffering, the reality of Jesus' death, the reality of Jesus' forgiveness and your adoption into the family of God begins to melt your hearts, then community won't be an add-on. It'll be a way of life. And you will understand, boy, I need Romans 12. To process the gospel and the specifics of my life. Now you're like me, and so some of you are thinking, yeah, that you know, yeah, this all sounds good, but you don't understand how busy I am. All, all the things I have going on, you, you know, and, and plus I'm shy, and plus I already have my friends. So I don't need church-based community. And Satan laughs. And the poison drips. You know, in every culture, there's really good things and there's really bad things. And this individualism taken to an extreme. Man, is it damaging us. According to the Bible, community is a people. It's not a time slot on the calendar. And matter of fact, let me illustrate this historically. Uh, do you know that Christianity grew from a few thousand people after Pentecost to become the most dominant religion of the Roman Empire in just about 300 years. And it wasn't because of great preaching. It wasn't because of great churches. It wasn't because of great evangelists. It was because followers of Jesus Christ, having been changed by the gospel, were so committed to living according to Romans chapter 12 and building relationships with Christians and people who had not yet believed in Jesus Christ that the non-Christians around them developed an even much stronger bond with these Christians than they had with their former, and back in that day you called them pagans. 
And it's because Christians were intentional about forming these relationships with people who didn't know Christ. And when that bond develops with a Christian and a non-Christian, where the non-Christian's allegiances and relationships with Christians are stronger than any other relationships he or she has, you reach a tipping point. And there's an openness uh, to the gospel because, man, I see these guys. I love these guys. I, I love the way they live. I, I, I love their values. So I want to plead with you to step into Rooted. If you're already in a small group, bring your small group into Rooted and into the 10-week cycle of life groups uh, that follow. I want you to invite your friends to join you. If you want to sign up alone, that's great. We will place you. If you want to bring others, that's even, um, that's also great. Now, I'm about to go on, but I want to say, let's be honest. Living this way, living out Romans 12, just these four verses I read, is really messy. It's re really hard for us today. Um, it's tiring. It's often frustrating. But before I go on, I just want to say, men and women, you, you students, these aren't options. These are commands. And we are being lulled to sleep by a good thing, individualism, taken to an extreme. And we have to wake up and push back. So let me go on. If the first trend is I am big, the big me, the second trend uh, today in our culture is, and this is an embedded value, is I am wonderful on the inside. It's this belief, this conviction that I am wonderful on the inside. Now this is a shift, what others call uh, a shift from realism to romanticism. Uh, from a, a shift from acknowledging uh, one's inner weakness, one's character flaws, one's indwelling sin, the battle within where you're realistic about yourself, according to God's word, to emphasizing inner goodness, inner moral strength, uh, that I'm wonderful on the inside, where you're romantic about yourself. Uh, realism versus uh, romanticism. And this romanticism has been building for centuries. It's a power more recently in the United States. It's a power of positive thinking. It's the self-esteem mo movement, which has some good uh, aspects uh, on steroids. It's Joel Olstein and the prosperity gospel. It's the fundamental denial of human sin, the battle within. That we all have divided, fallen hearts. And, and we don't see that. And so what's the consequence? Well, the, the consequence is equally deadly here with this cultural value. And that is we fail to see our blind spots. We don't believe we have blind spots. And we think we're wonderful on the inside and we're disconnected from others. And so what do we do when we bump into problems? Well, we blame our problems on others. You make me so angry. Other people don't make you angry. 
You choose to become angry. You make me so mad. Other people don't make you mad. You choose to become mad. It's your heart. But I'm wonderful inside. It's Julie who has a drinking problem, but she doesn't see it. It's Joe who's so frustrated and overworked and um, mad at people at his job that he can't even hear his daughter say, Daddy, why do you yell at us all the time? Blind spots. So what's the solution today for the church? The solution is gospel-centered community that is safe but honest. Loving but truthful. Where people can see and speak into what they see in our lives. And you know what? We want that. Really, I'm like that? And we're teachable, but if we're wonderful on the inside, if that's our romantic notion about ourselves, I don't need you to tell me that because I'm just great. Okay, so let's go to near the end of the New Testament, and I want you to see a passage in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses, not four. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And we're going to begin to see in these solutions some parallels and repetition in the New Testament. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Which happens over and over in our culture with students as they move through high school and move on uh, to college in their careers. But, 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 encourage one another daily as long as it's still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's what? Hello. By sin's what? Yeah, by sin's deceitfulness. Now, think about what's going on here. First of all, a little context. Hebrews is called Hebrews because it was written to Jews. Uh, to Jews that had come to Christ, left Judaism, and, and become embraced Christianity, and other Jews that were warming up uh, to Christianity and began attending churches. They knew other Christians, and they were, they were beginning to consider Christianity. Uh, but many of them, one of the reasons the book was written is many of these Jews that are considering Christianity turn away. And that's the point of verse 12. If verse 12 is a warning, and the question is, why were they turning away? And the answer is in verse 13. We're told that the problem wasn't just sin, the problem was the deceitfulness of sin. The lies we believe without even knowing they are lies. Well, God doesn't exist. Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the dead. Jesus wasn't God, and on and on. So uh, the, these Jews are starting to warm up to Christianity, as I said, but uh, then all of a sudden there's lies that come in, and they believe the lies, and they are turning away, and that's why Hebrews was written. You know, none of us wake up in the morning and say, you know, today I have this perfect plan, I'm going to wreck my family, and I'm going to commit adultery. No, instead it's a slow build. Well, I deserve this. I deserve better. 
I, um, I need this. I'm so stressed. None of us uh, wake up in the morning and think, you know, today uh, as I go to work, I, I can't wait to hurt people. Again, it's a slow build where, where you have this anger, these, these feelings in, inside of you that I'm, I, I'm so frustrated and, and, and you think it's okay, it's, it's a lie that I just got to follow my feelings. So throughout the day, you just let have people have it. You're believing a lie. They don't make you angry. You're an angry person. Uh, sin deceives us, Hebrews is saying. And because it's deception, we don't even know it's happening. Now, often, the other, this is the scary part, the people around you see it, and you don't see it. Yeah, Julie, you do have an alcohol problem. Look at how Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, puts it. He writes this. I'm a blind man. As much as I would like to think that I see and know myself, it just isn't true. Now, this is hard to read because of, our, uh, because of this plausibility structure, this value, the, this trend that I'm wonderful inside. Because sin blinds me to me. As long as uh, there is still sin inside me, there will be pockets of blindness in my view of me. It's actually more serious than what I just described. Because whereas every physically blind person knows that he or she is blind. Spiritually blind people are blind to their own blindness. They actually think that they see when in fact they don't. That is biblical realism. We're broken inside. We have divided hearts. The biggest struggle in life is a struggle in our own heart. But what's totally unexpected in chapter 12 and verse 13 here, or in chapter 3 and verse 13, is that the writer is telling us the key to overcoming our blind spots is community that is transparent and safe. So let's reread verse 13, and I want you to see the structure. But encourage one another, uh, not occasionally, not if you have time, uh, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Why? Why is this so important? So that none of you, literally not a single one of you, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The shocking truth, and this is shocking, and it's hard for us to swallow in the United States because of what our culture is giving us right now. The shocking truth of this passage is that an accurate knowledge of yourself only comes through active engagement with other believers. When you're engaged in com community where you can admit your weaknesses and, and your struggles and, and you accept the feedback of others, well, here, this is what I think is uh, maybe going on. Another way to say this is God gave you community to save yourself from yourself. God gave you others, the other people around you, that, so that you would live life to its fullest. But our culture is pulling us away from each other. And we believe here at Wheaton Bible Church 
the best way for the greatest number of people to experience community is in our rooted groups and our life groups. And I need many of you in this service to be a leader in a rooted group and eventually a life group which follows rooted. So trend number one is I am big. Trend number two is I am wonderful inside. And trend number three, and I'll conclude with this, and really... Uh, as I'm preaching through this, I don't necessarily like the word trend. It's really value. Uh, this cultural value number three is I am what I accomplish, right? So we live in a culture that's all about accomplishment. Uh, back to David Brooks. Uh, again, he's not, he's not a believer. He argues that society, modern society, is failing because resume virtues have trumped eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are your skills and your accomplishments that you put on a college or a job application. They're largely externals. Eulogy virtues are what people will say about you at your funeral. And they're largely internal. They're your character. Oh, he or she was so loving. Uh, such a great dad, such a great mom. Uh, so caring. Uh, there are things about you on the inside, and the central fallacy of modern society is that we believe that resume virtues are the most important and the key to happiness, right? And so you are today what you accomplish. You are today where you go to school. You are today what your uh, job title is or how well behaved your kids are or how big your house is or how new your, your car is. As a matter of fact, Brooks has a section on parenting and says that we increasingly live in a performance-based parenting world where it's no longer simply I love you but it's I love you if you get straight A's. I love you if you get the scholarship into college. And what's the consequence? Well, the consequence is also intuitive. It's deep, profound insecurity, anxiety, depression. My wife is a pediatrician. She sees this all the time with uh, uh, students. Insecurity, anxiety, uh, uh, depression. We are the most technologically advanced culture in the history of the world, and yet at the same time, one of the most insecure. Because it's all about accomplishment. It's all about performance. And there's factors behind that, like uh, the breakdown of the extended nurturing family where uh, you were unconditionally accepted, you were loved, and, and, and uh, you were taught the, the value of friendship, the value of humility, the value of integrity, the value of, uh, of sacrifice. And so young men throughout the history of the United States went to war. Without, without thinking twice about it. But today, all that matters is what you do. And, and men and women, we have to see this, we have to name it, we have to call it, because it's playing havoc on our relationships. And uh, some of you are, are sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah. So again, what's the solution? 
And the solution is community that focuses on your heart. Your divided heart. You see, according to the New Testament, we aren't just a church, we're a family. We're not just an event where you come for the music or uh, the preaching. Uh, We come because we belong to one another. And yet so often today, even our groups in the church tend to focus on the superficial things, the fin, rather than the shark underneath the water, the idols of our heart, our envy, our greed, uh, uh, our jobs, which we have made the dominant idols in our, our, our lives. So we're in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll conclude with this, verses 24 uh, and 25. And where we read, let us consider. In other words, think about. Think about it. Uh, Let us consider what? How we can spur one another. That's a strong word. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some in the habit are some in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what does it mean to encourage one another? What is that about? Well, back up to verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere, now here's the word, heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. In other words, to encourage one another means we encourage each other that as believers in Jesus Christ who have been uh, brought near by the blood of Christ, that's verse 19, and according to verse 22, who stand now in full assurance of God's unconditional acceptance and his love and, and the security we have as his adopted children that when we get in our groups, we talk about the beauty of the gospel and what's the struggles in our heart, our our idols again, the different things we are wrestling with. We understand life isn't about the fins, it's about the shark. And we process it. In other words, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has created you for community. Christ died to change the things that keep you from community. The Holy Spirit indwells you to give you the confidence and and the the freedom and the joy to step into community. And one day, God is going to bring you into heaven if you you know Jesus Christ. And what are you going to experience? You are going to experience perfect community throughout eternity. Do you realize the only moment Jesus Christ didn't experience community, whether in heaven or on earth, was when he went to the cross to die in our place for our sins so that we might know community with God, community with one another forever. Perfect love. Uh, 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 Perfect relationships. So, please, please, don't try to solo. 
take out the insert in, in our worship folder, and I want you to go out to the desk, or you can register online, but I want you to plug into Rooted. If you're in a group, and you've been in a group for a while, bring it into Rooted for this 10-week experience, and then the sermon-based life groups that follow, because we want to achieve gospel-centered community. And our culture, in spite of some of its many strengths, is really working against us. So let's pray. Father, I want to pray for these children, these students, these men and women, and pray that you would thrill their souls with relationships that are deep and thick, where they're free with one another, and they can encourage one another in the richest sense of that term. Would you bless them? Would you give us more of Jesus? Fill us with the Spirit. Amen.